Welcome to Future Proof, the marketing podcast from Said Business School, Oxford University, and Kantar, the data insights and consulting company. In each episode, we speak to industry leaders about the big issues in marketing, sharing evidence and inspiration for the future. I'm Andrew Stephen, the L'Oreal Professor of Marketing and Associate Dean of Research at the Said Business School. I'm Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Dr. Nikki Morley, I am the Global Innovation Lead at Kantar Sustainability Practice. So in today's podcast, we're going to be talking about, among other things, purpose in organizations. And we're joined by Frank Cooper, who is the Global Chief Marketing Officer at BlackRock. Welcome, Frank. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. Let's kick this off, actually, with a big question about purpose. You know, it's one of those things that is talked about an enormous amount these days in the corporate world. But I think there are lots of different ways that people would think of purpose and what that means in their jobs and their organizations and for their customers. So what what's your point of view and BlackRock's point of view on purpose? Andrew, thank you for that question, because I know that we're hearing more and more people use the term purpose. We're hearing about purpose-driven capitalism, purpose-driven leadership, purpose-driven talent, but it is used in a variety of ways. But I think the term, for me at least, is very specific. And it's a term that's evolved over time. It came out of the evolution of what we expect from corporations. So when I use purpose, I mean very specifically, why does the company exist in the world? Why does it exist in society? And so if you look at, for example, a company's mission statement, and these terms are starting to be used interchangeably, but for me, the mission statement is more about what does the company do? tends to be industry specific. If you look at the company's principles, they will outline just how we do it. But the most important, the most, the deepest part is why does the company exist in the world? And for me, the real question is why is that now important? Because it feels like all of a sudden there's this new obligation on corporate leaders. And I've been in a lot of dinners, meetings, salon, conferences talking about this. And the opposition to it tends to center around this notion that this is not the obligation of the corporation feels like it's the obligation of government when you start to ask, why does it exist in society? And I have two responses to that. Number one, this notion of purpose does not have to be a grandiose, we alone will save the world kind of idea. A company can have a purpose that's purely about convenience, for example, and they're saying we're giving people the gift of time back. If I'm Amazon, as an example, that's how I would frame my purpose. It's more around, you know, we are 
giving people the gift of time to this convenience. They can order online, get their packages in a certain amount of time. That would be at least the angle in on the positive contribution to society. Or it could be Patagonia, which is we sell outdoor gear. And in order for people to enjoy what we sell, we need to protect the outdoors. And so they're much more rooted in environmental sustainability. So it doesn't have to be grandiose. But here's more important than that, is that the expectation of ordinary people, of citizens, is that corporations need to step into the void that's been left by government. They expect large multinational corporations, which now enjoy tax incentives, they enjoy the infrastructure that's built into the communities. They expect those companies to deliver something back to the community. And it's that expectation, I think, this kind of reciprocal obligation, as Paul Collier would call it, is, is now something that no corporate leader can ignore. And so that becomes a critical piece of it. And then the last thing I'll say is this, is that even if you don't believe it, and if you say, you know what, I think it's too complicated for corporate leaders to think about how they're going to make a positive contribution to society, I think it's too difficult to measure it. Here's one thing that is now certainly a truism, at least from what I've seen and all the data that I've seen and my personal experience, is that the best talent across virtually every region of the world is now demanding it. The best talent, they want money. The best talent, they still want status of, of some sort, some kind of esteem. But they also want to feel like they're contributing to something bigger than themselves. And to contribute to something bigger than yourself, the corporation, the company has to position its own narrative in a way that it's contributing beyond profits. Profits is an outcome for sure, but it's doing something to fill a human need or to advance society as a whole or to make the community stronger. And so in the war for talent, I think this idea of purpose becomes critical, but it's rooted in why the company exists in society and not in what the company does or how it does it. Thank you for that, Frank. And I think you're absolutely right that the expectation of consumers and citizens is that corporations step into the void. In actual fact, our global monitor data at Kantar suggests that 60% of people under 30 prefer brands with that strong promise. And so you're absolutely right. How did BlackRock find its authentic purpose? <laughs> Such a great question. So a little bit of background on myself. I came into financial services having never been in financial services. You know, I spent my time in technology. I've been in the entertainment business, but I spent 12 years at PepsiCo as chief marketing officer and spent a little time at BuzzFeed as chief marketing officer and chief creative officer. But when I came in, I spoke to many people within BlackRock and, and particularly Larry Fink. One of the things we talked about was the this growing need of companies, the companies that would flourish and that would thrive to have a sense of purpose to have the sense of purpose that transcends profits. So it was already the spark of that idea there. But when I came into the firm, what I realized is that, as in most companies, you have some people who are true believers in that and some who are skeptics. And what we did is, the first thing we did is we decided that this would not work if we tried to invent our purpose. The biggest mistake I think any company can make is to look to the outside world and say, what's happening? What is hot? What is interesting? What is trending? You know, what's gaining momentum? Aha, let's see if we can connect to that. I think it's exactly the opposite. It's going inward in the company. And that's what we did. So we spoke to hundreds of people, literally. We spoke to clients. We spoke to employees across every function in every region. And we had conversations about when BlackRock is at its best. What are the qualities? What are the stories? You know, what are the themes that, that come out of that? And going through that, we started to discover certain things that, that were recurring ideas. So we went through that process. We held an online, what we call the BlackRock Jam, for three days 
and again, across all regions and functions and all employees. And we had an online conversation about BlackRock's purpose. And we started playing with words like wealth and wealthy. And some of those words triggered negative ideas. And what we found is that we would, the marketing team and the comms team, we would come up with certain things that we thought would be the ideal words, but the best words came from people within the company that had nothing to do with marketing and comms. And we started to put that together into a statement and we landed on a statement, which on the surface sounds very almost innocuous, but we landed on the statement of we help more and more people experience financial well-being. But here's the thing. That was the first part of the journey and it was great. But I remember, and I won't mention the company's name, but I remember several years before that going into a company in Silicon Valley and walking around the building and they had the beautiful phrases on the wall of their purpose and mission and values. And it was so well designed and it was almost like the Disneyland of purpose statements. And at the same time, that company was experiencing some of the most difficult issues publicly where people, including users on their platform, were questioning you know, whether they had a right to a social license. And so I saw that gap between the words and action. The second thing we decided was that we need to make this real and not just have the words on the wall. And the second step we took as a result of that was to turn again to our employees and in a bottom-up way. And we decided a company will find it really difficult to live its purpose unless the employees have a deep emotional connection to that purpose. And the way to have a deep emotional connection is not to try to indoctrinate them through the purpose statement and try to have them memorize every phrase of the purpose statement and repeat it. It's not to put it in every annual report and say, my job is done. It's to allow them to find a personal way in and to give them a lot of latitude to do it. So we developed a workbook, which allowed employees to identify their passions and strengths we allowed them to have conversations with whomever they wanted. It could be friends, family, colleagues, their managers. Nothing was forced upon them, but we wanted them to have the conversation and to start to go through that process of introspection and then match those passions and strengths with some aspect of their experience at BlackRock. And our hope was that most would find it within their jobs, but some could find it through the philanthropic work we're doing. Some can find it through the employee networks. The result of that was all 15,000 employees went through it and even the most data-driven, analytical among those employees found a kind of emotional connection to BlackRock and BlackRock's purpose to deepen that sense of loyalty and connection in ways that actually surprised me. But that was the second step for us, was to get the employees to understand it in an emotional way so that they felt a personal connection to our purpose. And then the last piece is this, and this is the one we're still working on, the external manifestation of it. You know, the, the difference for me between... If you look at purpose versus if you go way back in time, you know, pure philanthropy was still exists today. Cause marketing, which happened mostly in the 60s. CSR, again, which is still is happening. The difference between those actions and purpose is that purpose is built into the operating model of the company. By its nature, it should be the ultimate goal of the company, right? And so in order for it to be the ultimate goal of the company and built into the operating model, we have to have some kind of external manifestation of that that comes through our operating model. So the part we're still working on and fleshing out, and, and you know, I can't share it all right now because some of it's still confidential, but we expect to have it out hopefully in the next month or so, is that you'll start to see products and platforms that support our sense of purpose. And of course, the one that you've probably seen already is the products and platforms we're doing, we're producing around sustainable investing. All of the steps make a lot of sense. And, and I guess there's a lot of devil in the details in terms of then how you align a large organization with lots of different stakeholders and even just within the employee set 
probably lots of different individual values as well. To what extent do you think it needs to be aspirational versus, you know, achievable now or in the near future? That is the core question. It's a difficult thing to balance. And a lot depends on the degree to which leaders of a particular company have the courage and conviction around specific ideas. So it has to be something that is aspirational, but achievable. And so the way I look at it, I start with looking in the outside, you know, what is happening, what's urgent uh, in culture, urgent and, and important. I look at what, how that's affecting our particular industry, but then most important, what's authentic and true about BlackRock. And I triangulate those three things. And, you know, if you look at what's urgent and important in culture, it's not for us in financial services, it's not such a mystery. I think, you know, what's urgent and important people are looking at climate change and climate risk, you know, that's urgent and important and it's affecting our industry. People are looking at wealth inequality, and that's increasingly affecting our industry. In particularly the U.S., but now across the world, people are looking at racial inequity, and that's starting to affect our industry. And the question is, given all those issues, what's authentic about BlackRock that can address it? That, to me, is when you kind of pressure test your purpose statement. And so our purpose statement, again, is you know, we help more and more people experience financial well-being. So part of it is the more and more people. Are we actively trying to create a system and platforms and practices and policies that give more people access, to give more people knowledge, to give more people skills to participate in the benefits of investing and saving. That would be our test. And that's our way into the issues around you know, wealth inequality and racial inequity. You know, are we thinking about financial well-being, not only on the individual level, which is critically important, you know, moving people along that spectrum from being stable to having some upward mobility to having financial security and ultimately financial freedom, not only on that level, but on the community level and on a systemic level. Are we using our voice and our whatever influence we have to create greater transparency, to make access easier? So for us, yes, it should be aspirational. It has to be somewhat of a stretch for the organization, probably something you will never fully achieve, but there has to be a clear stepping stones along the way. And the way I think you build those stepping stones is by looking at what's urgent and important in culture how that impacts your industry, and then what authentic action you can take to try to address some part of it. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. When we talk about systemic problems, I believe that no one company can solve it. And so there has to be a little bit of a shift from this competitive mindset to one of cooperation and reciprocal obligation. I think 
you need a coalition to solve it and probably a public-private coalition, but at least a coalition of the committed, you know, not just the willing, you know, those who are actually committed to change to make this happen. And so, you know, when I look at BlackRock and our purpose and our actions and our purpose of actions, it's just one part of a much broader complex problem, but we want to be part of that coalition that moves the world forward in a positive way. I'd like to talk about one particular example of where you've done that, where you, you know, you talk about sort of really doing and you talk about activating in the area of sustainable investing. And what I like is the fact that not only have you talked about that at an individual level, but also in terms of taking action with some of, sort of stewardship over sort of companies. Can you tell us a bit more about that and how that evolved? And presumably it's been extremely successful for you. It has been successful. And I'll be honest, it wasn't the easiest decision to make if you rewind back, you know, 18 months ago. Inside, the challenge and the tension was around overcoming what I think are some some of the myths. You know, many investors at that time were questioning whether or not they could generate a reasonable return or return that's consistent with funds that were not sustainable. Some investors were questioning whether they would breach their fiduciary duty by investing in sustainable funds. There was a concern internally about some clients maybe adverse to the whole notion that BlackRock is embracing this notion that we should make sustainable investing our standard. And so what the unlock, I think, was was two things, really. One was landing on this idea that climate risk is investment risk. And that was a pivotal moment because even those who... who uh, you know, may have questioned whether or not, you know, this will generate the right returns or those who had worries about certain clients having an adverse reaction to it, what they all could agree to was that the conversations and the data and the science was pushing society toward this notion that climate change will have a real impact on the assets of the company. And the question is, is that risk adequately priced into the assets of companies? And we believe that they weren't. The second thing that, that happened is that we started, you know, seeing over time, you know, that we were getting closer to a date that at one point seemed incredibly distant, but suddenly became really clear to us in that, you know, people at one point were using the date of 2050. Well, take a 30-year mortgage. We're now in 2020. A 30-year mortgage is now bumping up against 2050. And if climate change is going and climate risk is going to affect property that is mortgaged, then it should be priced into, into those assets. And so that kind of got people over the hump, the idea that climate risk is investment risk. But another thing happened that was, I think, critically important. And that was our investment thesis was that it was not a trade-off. Whether you looked at it from a portfolio perspective or you looked at it individually, we thought the uh, sustainable investing could deliver returns that were competitive with other investments. And, and what we've seen during this pandemic, I think, was really illuminating. You know, what we've seen is during this, this market downturn, we've seen sustainable investing indices outperform 90 plus percent of their parent indices. So that for us was a, was a massive confirmation of this idea that performance in, in sustainable investing, you would have to trade that off by investing in sustainable assets. But the second thing that happened, which was, again, a confirmation that investor preferences would not change from short-term market movements, is that, again, during this pandemic, where we've seen a historic market drawdown, sustainable investing actually increased during that period for us. We saw more, more money 
come into sustainable funds during this period. And so I think for us, landing on the idea that investment, that climate risk is investment risk, and now taking a stance that we want to make sustainable investing our standard, and now seeing it play out during this, this crisis in a really positive way, that gives us all confidence that we're headed in the, in the right direction. As I said, you know, there was, it was not easy along the way, but the uh, direction of travel, I think, is clear, not only for us, I think for all uh, investment firms. So Frank, you said during this pandemic, you've noticed, BlackRock's noticed, that investments in sustainable investment funds have been going up. So what's the reasoning behind that, do you think? What's driving that shift in investor behavior? I think it's too early for us to to, to know uh, with certainty, but I think it's several early signs, at least that I'm, that I'm aware of. You know, one is just purely diversification. If you take it from a portfolio perspective, having sustainable funds within your portfolio, uh, some investors believe that that diversification is, is critically important. The second thing is that some investors and increasingly more investors believe that the risk is still not adequately priced into all the assets and that this is a superior investment than others. And then the third one, which is more of a hope than, because we did a recent study on uh, sustainable investing across uh, Europe and and the US. The hope is that more investors are taking a long-term view. If you look at our chairman and CEO's letters, Larry Fink, as you know, he writes a letter to CEOs every year, usually in January before Davos. And it's ranged from purpose to sustainable investing to diversity and inclusion. But the one thing that goes across all these letters for the past seven or eight years is long-termism. And so for us, our hope is that more investors are taking the long-term view because it's actually the only way that this idea of purpose is going to work uh, is if investors take that long-term view. It's the only way that we're going to see a shift, a sustained shift towards sustainable investing. I believe it's the only way that companies can have the uh, latitude to innovate in a way and to adapt to the markets uh, rather than meet quarterly earnings by kind of financial maneuvers. Hopefully we are moving toward that, but I think Andrew, it's a little bit early for us to say that with certainty, but uh, it's one of the questions that we're going to explore further. I just want to change tack slightly to ask you, Frank, about what we call the value action gap, the gap between a person's personal and cultural values and their action. We know a lot of people try to behave sustainably, but they struggle too. And I see BlackRock at the center of being able to sort of close that gap. What other things are BlackRock thinking about and working on to sort of close that gap to make people financially better off in a more sustainable way? I don't know if we can singularly change the the value action gap. I think that's so it's built into human behavior. But what I do know is that if you have a set of narratives that people share, that people embed in, in culture, kind of guide their behavior, eventually action will follow. It seems slow at first, but eventually action does follow. I do know that if you have a set of values that are articulated very clearly, even if they conflict with other values, it forces the conversation to the fore. You know, that happened in the U.S. in the 1960s, still happening today, you know, where the kind of the American creed of liberty, justice, and equality ran up against people's growing awareness of the treatment of Black Americans. Those narratives clashed and forced a national and really global conversation. And so... Given that, what we believe one of our roles is to use our voice to try to highlight and raise those narratives and those ideas. And that's why I think it was so important for us to take a position that uh, sustainable investing should become our standard. And we think 
you know, sharing those ideas, even if they clash with the existing ideas out in the marketplace, will force people to reconcile those conflicts and force people to confront and become more aware of what's possible. So that's one. Second thing is what I've seen close the value action gap is just imitation. Most people don't want to admit to it, but um, oftentimes you can get large numbers of people to imitate behavior that they see, but someone has to model the behavior first. And so our, along with other companies, many other uh, companies uh, are, are doing this, kind of modeling the behavior that we want to see so that uh, others can emulate and not only emulate, adapt and add on to and evolve themselves. I think that's the second important step in, in closing the value action gap. The last piece is this, and, and this is one, I, again, I don't really have a solid answer to it, but I, I know we need it, especially for companies. Having the metrics, a way of measuring progress that is consistent across industries, I think is critical. Fortunately, in environmental sustainability, we look to SASB and, and GRI as a couple of the kind of metrics platforms. But having that kind of used more widely and consistently across industries, I think is going to be critical so that people can benchmark their performance and compare it on a relative scale to other companies, to competitors and, and others and other companies that they might even admire. I can imagine there are people sat there who are struggling to find their meaningful purpose to translate it into action, as has been such a success that if, in the way that BlackRock have done it. What piece of final piece of advice would you give to people who are starting that journey, have woken up to the idea that purpose has to be put at the heart of an organization. It's what people expect from corporations. What final advice would you give to them? So from a personal perspective, from an employee's perspective, my core advice to every employee, and, and I got this advice early on, is if you really want to have a greater sense of fulfillment, you have to dig deep. And digging deep is not finding the the hobbies that you enjoy. Because uh, when you first go on this journey, at least my experience with it, people will say, well, you know, I love to ski and I, I love to play basketball and I, I love to hike. And I see no connection between that and, and my job. You have to get past that and get into those stories. And they usually are stories of how you interacted with people, family, friends, how you've helped someone, how someone has helped you and how that's made you feel. That's the unlock. And Early in my career, you know, I started as a lawyer and I had a, an attorney who had been practicing for 20 years and he, and he said, look, the only advice I'm going to give you about your career is that you need to find out what energizes you in your personal life and then connect it with your professional life. Because ultimately, if you're successful, you're going to work so hard that if you don't connect the two things, your personal interest will go to the wayside. If you connect the two together, you will inevitably have a greater sense of fulfillment. And that's worked well for me. And I believe that's really the focus of this kind of personal sense of purpose and connecting it to the company's purpose. So, so to me, that's the first thing. On the company side and, and corporate leaders, my advice is to remember one thing. Actions are more important than words. I would not spend an inordinate amount of time trying to perfect the purpose statement. It's going to center around you know, one of the core values that have existed time immemorial. <laughs> it's going to center around you know, you know, belonging or esteem or something like that. So that's not the distinguishing factor, the distinguishing factor will be your actions. And I would have a bias toward action, getting in, learning, partnering with people and understanding that ultimately the things that you're trying to solve through the company can't be done at the top. It has to come throughout the company. And I'll give you one example. If you remember the Tylenol scandal, someone had tampered with a Tylenol bottle. And this is before the time they put the kind of protective 
barriers on the caps, the local employees were the ones who actually pulled it off the shelf. They made the decision. They, they did not call corporate headquarters at J&J to say, please pull this off the shelf. They did it themselves. It was a $100 million consequence. But everyone at, at, at J&J celebrated that because not only was it the right decision and it played out well, but it fit their core credo, which is we are here to serve the customer and make sure their experience is the best experience. Point is, is that at some point, if you have a bias for action, you're going to come up against a, a conflicting moment where your purpose will conflict with your, your profits. And the question is going to be, do you have the courage and conviction to lean into your purpose? And that will decide who's true versus who's actually purpose washing. listening to Future Proof. For all episodes and more information, visit Kantar.com or OxfordFutureOfMarketing.com. Please leave us a rating and a review and subscribe within your podcast app so you know when new episodes are released. Thank you. Thank you.